0: good friend of mine tells a story about how about five or six years ago he was at a Costco a large store with his son who was in the midst of puberty at the time and he was walking around the store and he came around the corner of an aisle and he saw a woman he did not expect to see there it was Angelina Jolie or at least the way he tells the story the woman looked like Angelina Jolie she was wearing a very, very skimpy black dress that looked like it was designed to be worn at a cocktail party, certainly not at the end of an aisle at Costco. And she was sitting, standing there and she had a table in front of her and some boxes and she saw my friend and she said, oh, sir, do you mind coming over here for a second? And he said, well, I, I don't wanna buy anything. I'm just here to get some food. And she said, oh, no, no, I, I don't wanna sell you anything. You look like a strong man and, and I need help opening these boxes. He said, well, I am a strong man. I'd be happy to help you open those boxes. And so he went over and helped her open the boxes and inside the boxes were Vitamixes, these sort of like high-end blenders. They cost like $10,000, I think they're like $500, but seriously, $500 for a blender. So anyway, he helps her pull out this blender and puts it on the table and he's getting ready to walk away but she takes a microphone kind of like mine and she puts it over her, over her ear and she says, is there anyone in the store who would like a demonstration of the Vitamix? And he said that there was just something in her voice that it was like a siren singing to him. And not just to him, but every other man inside of the Costco. And within a minute, there's about a dozen of them. They're all around the same age and they've all got their kids with them and they are just on the edge of their toes, ready to hear. This is the Vitamix. It can make your dreams come true. I want my dreams to come true, one of them shouts out. No, I want my dreams to come true. So she keeps talking and talking and and she is pulling these men in quicker and quicker. She's got her claws in them at this point. And the last thing she says is, you know, I'm single, but if I wasn't, this is what I would want for Valentine's Day. (laughs) And so my friend said that within a few minutes, he realized that he was at the trunk of his car with a brand new Vitamix that he had just purchased, putting it in his trunk. And when he drove home, he went into the kitchen and he showed his wife, he said, honey, look what I got at Costco, it's a new Vitamix. And she said, we already have a blender, why did you buy another one? And he put the blender back in the trunk and he returned it to the store for slightly less than he paid for it. (laughs) This is a story of temptation, of temptation. It works for all of us in some way, shape or form. Uh, For some of us, it's an Angelina Jolie type selling a Vitamix at the end of an aisle at Costco. Uh, for others of us it's any number of things that tempt us i think one of the challenges with temptation is we love to call out the temptations in other people and we kind of feel good about ourselves because we think oh well surely if i had been there i wouldn't have bought a vitamix i'm not a fool but there were quite a few fools who left that day with vitamixes in their trunk there were quite a few fools there in jerusalem one day when pontius pilate said well who would you like me to give to you would you like barabbas Or would you like Jesus? And the crowds shouted, crucify Jesus. And I think that a lot of us like to think that had we been there, we surely would have made the right decision. We wouldn't have asked for Jesus to be crucified. But I don't know. Sometimes we go home from the grocery store with a Vitamix in our trunk. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter, verses one through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. Now the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. And then the devil led him and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said to him, "'To you I will give their glory and all this authority, "'for it has been given over to me. "'I give it to anyone I please. "'If you then will worship me, it will all be yours.' "'Jesus answered him, "'It is written, "'Worship the Lord your God and serve only him.' "'And then the devil took him to Jerusalem, "'placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, "'saying to him, "'If you are the Son of God, "'throw yourself down from here, "'for it is written, "'He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. "'And on their hands they will bear you up "'so that you will not dash your foot against a stone.' Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is a long-standing tradition in the life of the church to begin the season of Lent with this story from the Gospel of Luke with the story of Jesus's temptations in the wilderness. It's as if we are going to mirror Jesus's 40 days of abstaining from certain things in our own journeys these 40 days from Ash Wednesday until Easter Sunday. That just as Jesus resisted the devil, this is a time for us to resist temptation while we'll abstain from certain items, behaviors, or practices. It is not the easiest time in the church calendar. The hymns and the songs that we sing, they're all a little too on the nose. The sermons, they call into question all of our wandering hearts. And at some point or another, we can't help but look at the cross. That's what Lent is designed to do. It's to force us to look at the cross again and again and again. So we can do all kinds of things during the season of Lent as a church. I'm familiar with a church that requires uh, everyone that participates in in their worship activities to do the same things. At the end of the service, you'll hear about a Lenten discipline challenge for all of us this week. It's a nice way to sort of add something into your life so that faith isn't just one hour on Sunday morning. So there's a lot of things we can do, but at some point during Lent, we will all ask the question that we've always wanted to know, who exactly is this Jesus that we worship? Because just a few weeks ago, we were worshiping the baby-born king in the manger with little shepherds and angels running around our sanctuary on Christmas Eve, and I think it's it's really easy to worship that Jesus because that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything. So we can confess the wonder of the incarnation, but we're not sure what it has to do with you or me. But then here in Lent, just as the spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness, it's like the spirit smacks us up over the head with the truth of the truth. And so we start with Jesus and the devil. It tells us exactly who Jesus is and exactly who Jesus will be. It offers us a glimpse behind the curtain of the cosmos. So Jesus is baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan, and then immediately after that, he goes into the wilderness where he doesn't eat anything for 40 days, and he's tempted by the devil. Hey, JC, JC, my man, the devil says, it's good to see you. If you are who you say you are, I'm gonna need to see some ID. If you really are the son of man and son of God. Oh, you don't have any pockets in your robe? That's fine, I'll I'll take your word for it, if you really are the word. But let let me ask you this. You feeling okay, Jesus? You look a little famished. You look like you haven't had anything to eat in a while. But you're the son of God. You could command these stones to become a loaf of bread. Why not? Why put yourself through this, Jesus? I can tell you're hungry. Why don't you make yourself a little lunch here in the wilderness? What could be more holy than making something out of nothing? And Jesus says, it is written, we cannot and we shall not live by bread alone. Oh, the devil says. So you know your Bible. Mm, I'm impressed. Frankly, I'm with you, son of man. You can't just give hungry people food for nothing. They'll become dependent on you. No handouts in the kingdom of God. Am I right, Jesus? How about this? Don't want to eat anything. That's fine. But how about a little power? And I mean real power. How about some political power? Here's the deal. I'll give you the keys to all of the kingdoms on the earth. All of them, really. All you have to do, and it's really nothing when you think about it, just a little thing. I need you to bow down and and worship me. Jesus says, It is written, We shall worship only one God. Okay. Okay, the devil goes. Don't be such a buzzkill, Jesus. So You won't show compassion to the needy. You're not even going to show compassion to yourself. You're not going to go ahead and make the world a better place through political machinations. That's fine, but for what it's worth, you know, I I know my Bible too, JC. So I'll give you one more chance. Why don't you go to the top of the temple and jump off of it? Give the people a sign of God's power and might. For doesn't it say in the Psalms, Jesus... That the Lord will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On your hands they will bear you up so that your foot will not dash against the sun. Just think about the kind of faith people will have. They'll finally have if you show them one big miracle. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil departs from him until an opportune time. That's a very ominous ending to a passage of scripture but no spoilers. We'll get there. As I said, we often use this story in scripture to offer encouragement to those in the midst of Lent, to help us resist our own temptations. It's time for someone like me to make a big pitch to people like you about a bad habit that you need to drop. It's time to shape up or ship out. And frankly, we have a lot that we should do. There are far too many people in the world, but particularly in our community, who fall asleep at night hungry. We have far too many children who have no bright hope for tomorrow. We have far too many communities that are falling prey to the devastating power of loneliness. Just get on television for five minutes and you can see how bad we've messed things up. But if that's all this story is supposed to do, that is, if the story of Jesus' temptations exists as a weapon for someone like me to to bang you over the head with about how much better you need to be, then don't you think Jesus could have been a little clearer about what we should or shouldn't be doing? Because if Jesus' temptations are actually really just about our temptations, then I think it would have been better if Jesus had more lines than the devil. But the devil says a whole lot more in this scripture than Jesus does. The strange new world of the Bible is always primarily about God, and it's only ever secondarily about us. But we are vain and selfish little creatures, and we assume that everything is always and only ever about us. But Jesus's temptations are exactly that. They are Jesus's temptations. This is not a story about how we can be better about avoiding chocolate during Lent or how we can be better about going to the gym once a day during Lent. That's not what this is about. This is about how Jesus deals with temptations. It's actually about how Jesus deals with us. This might sound a little strange, perhaps even a little controversial, but if you take a step away from the story and think about it, the the things that the devil offers Jesus, they're all objectively good things. He wants to give Jesus bread and power and miracles. But Jesus refuses all of them, and he even uses the Bible to defend his refusals. Now, perhaps if if the devil had offered Jesus an unending buffet at the Golden Corral or the nuclear codes or David Copperfield's assortment of illusions, we could sympathize with Jesus's rejection of what the devil says. But the devil gives Jesus the possibility for transformation, and Jesus says, no, thank you. And here's the real kicker, and I mean the real kicker of this story, is that if you read the rest of the gospel, oddly enough, Jesus will in fact do everything the devil tempts him to do by the end. Now, instead of turning some rocks in the wilderness into some nice artisanal sourdough bread, Jesus will take a small loaf of bread and from it he will feed 5,000 people. Instead of getting caught up in all the political procedures to make Jerusalem great again, Jesus returns from resurrection to rule at the right hand of the father as king of kings and lord of lords. Instead of pulling off a primetime Las Vegas magic special, Jesus dies. He just refuses to stay dead. For a long, long time, we've understood the devil and Jesus to be figures at opposite ends of the spectrum of what is good and what is bad. It it slips into our culture. Just think about a a cartoon or a movie you've seen where someone is debating something in their life, and on one side, there's an angel on a shoulder, and on the other side, there's a devil. What should I do? Should I be good? Should I be virtuous, or should I be bad and selfish? We do it all the time, but Jesus and the devil aren't actually that different from each other. What differs them isn't what they want, but how they achieve it. At least according in this moment of Scripture. Because why it pains us maybe to admit it. The devil has some pretty good suggestions for our Lord. Why starve yourself when you could make a meal here in the wilderness? Why let these fools destroy themselves when I can give you control over everything right now? Why let the world continue in fear and doubt when you can prove your worth? just from jumping off the top of the temple. You know, the devil, frighteningly, he sounds a lot like us. The devil's ideas are ideas that we champion all the time. You know, what our community needs is um, another food pantry. What our community needs, is we need Christians running for political office. What we need is God to show us some more miracles, and then everyone would finally get in line, and the world would be a better place. But Jesus, for as much as Jesus is like us, Jesus is completely unlike us. For in all of his non-answer answers to the devil, and therefore to all of us, he says that power as we understand it doesn't transform much of anything. Because we can create feeding programs all we want, and we probably should, but sooner or later we will start making requirements for those who receive food. I heard about a church that wanted to start a feeding program and they were feeding, you know, a dozen people and then two dozen people and pretty soon they had a hundred people they were feeding every week and then they started to say, actually, we will only give you food now if you come worship with us for an hour beforehand. Hmm. Hmm. We can get Christians elected into government all we want, but at some point they will be far more concerned with maintaining their power than pointing to the one from whom all things move and have their being. We can witness miracle after miracle after miracle, but at some point it will never be enough. It will never be enough for what we really want. We've convinced ourselves since that fateful day long ago with a certain fruit and a certain tree that it's up to us to make things come out right in the end, that by amassing power, we can make the world a better place. And the church has done this since the very beginning. In the early days, we got so cozy with the powers and the principalities that individuals were forced to be baptized in order to become citizens of the empire. In the Middle Ages, the church required more and more of the resources of God's people in order to get your loved ones out of purgatory, all while cathedrals got bigger and pastors' waistlines got wider. And even today, our lust for power, whether it's political power, theological power, economic power, it leads to violence and familial strife, ecclesial schisms. We've, we just believe so deeply, more than anything else, that if we just had a little more control, if we won just one more debate or one more fight, if we could just get everyone to act like me, then the world would finally be perfect. But it doesn't work like that. If we could have fixed all the world's problems, we would have done it by now. If you look back at history, some of the most horrific and violent things that have happened have been done in the name of progress. The devil wants to give Jesus a shortcut, a shortcut straight to the ends that Jesus will inevitably bring about in his own life and death and resurrection. The devil wants Jesus to do what we want Jesus to do, or better put, The devil wants Jesus to do what we want to do today. But here's the good news, and I mean the very good news. Jesus resists the temptations of the devil. He resists our own temptations. And instead, he he does for us what we can't and won't do for ourselves. Because even at the very end, when his arms are nailed to the cross, when he's hanging for all the crowds to see, He is still tempted by the devil. He is still tempted by us as the crowd shout out, hey, if you really are who you say you are, come down from that cross and save yourself. And at the very end, Jesus doesn't bother with quotes from scripture. He doesn't provide us with a plan on how to make the world a better place. At the very end, Jesus dies. You see, the gospel is that instead of saving himself, Jesus saves us. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.